0: their gifts of gold frankincense and where they presented them to jesus but there's an important part of this christmas story the story of the wise men that is not so obvious but it is so important that we wouldn't even have the story of the three wise men if this one thing had not happened and that's this before they set out on their trip to worship jesus the three of them, and there may have been more than three, but they, sat, they, they saw that new star and they connected it with the Old Testament Scriptures that a Savior, the King of the world, had been born in Bethlehem. But what they did before they left, they sat down together and they made plans about how they were going to approach this first Advent celebration. They carefully thought, What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to celebrate this first Christmas? And immediately their minds all turned to one thing. They determined that they would find a way from their own resources to come and bring gifts with which they would worship Christ because they understood that worship and giving go together. And so they came up with three gifts, and we know those very famous three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 tell us that they, when they came to the house where Jesus was, it says they were just overjoyed. And then they bowed down, and they took their three gifts and presented them to Jesus in worship. In fact, their giving of the gifts and their worship of Christ is really part of one and the same act. And they could not have realized at that moment how much their gifts would make a difference in the lives of this holy family, Jesus, his mom, his his stepdad, I guess you would say, Joseph. The family of Jesus and Joseph, um, and this is another part of the Christmas story that we hardly ever talk about. In fact, some of you may not even realize this is part of the Christmas story, but it's right here in Matthew chapter 2. Joseph... Mary, baby Jesus, as was the case for most of the people in that day and time, as well as in our own day and time, they struggled to make ends meet. Joseph made his living as a carpenter. He worked hard. He made just enough to make ends meet, but there was no extra left over. And the evidence for that is, in Luke chapter 2, after eight days, Jesus was eight days old, they took baby Jesus into the temple to uh, have him consecrated and dedicated. And they took the option that God's word in the Old Testament gave for people that have a lesser economic status. Instead of purchasing a lamb, which cost more to do, they took the two-turtle-dove route, which was just an inexpe- a less expensive way of coming to worship, coming to dedicate their child to Christ. So Joseph and Mary, they had, they had some financial fragility in their lives. But the thing they didn't know was they were about to get hit with a totally unexpected, devastating setback. And here they are, with a brand new child. The worst time something like that could possibly happen. Now, Matthew chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, you can read this on your own, tells the story of King Herod. He was, King Herod the Great was ruling during this time, and he became extremely alarmed when three influential magi, wise men from the east, who were the kingmakers in Persia, you See, the, uh, the Magi were that class of elite, learned people in the culture of Persia. They were the politically connected. They were sort of the council of advisors. And nobody could k- become a king in Persia unless they got the okay from the Magi. So when, these, when three of these Magi show up in Jerusalem inquiring about the new king that has been born, Well, Herod the Great, he didn't like that bit. He got threatened. In fact, Herod the Great has gone down in history as a madman who was full of paranoia, and he even had members of his own family killed out of there being a threat to his position and his power. And so what he did was he uh, initiated sort of an early mini-Holocaust, and he sent soldiers over to Bethlehem and the vicinity surrounding it And he had every baby boy, two years old and under, slaughtered, just put to death, to try to stamp out this new king, whoever he was. But Joseph and Mary, they took Jesus and they fled. They fled to Egypt. And this is another part of the Christmas story that we don't talk about very much. And that's this, this, that the first Christmas story becomes the story of a refugee family. uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, overnight, they had to flee with nothing but the clothes on their back, no job, no house, no support system, no food, destitute. And I'm sure that Mary and Joseph must have been saying to each other as they went into Egypt, holding baby Jesus, what are we going to do now? Where are we going to live? Where are we going to get food? We don't know anybody in Egypt. How am I going to get, where, where am I going to get work? How are we going to make a living? And so the question is, how did they survive during their time as refugees? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us, but I think if we read between the lines, there is, it would be reasonable to assume that it was the wise men's carefully planned, sacrificial, generous, intentional giving their offerings that carried the Holy Family through their time of great need as refugees. And so the wise men, if that's the case, the wise men are the first example of what we call Advent conspiracy. They were not caught up in material things. They were not so attached to their wealth and all that God had blessed them with that that their hearts had became hard. No, that they were caught up in materialism they carefully made a plan of approach before they ever set out toward that first Advents, that Advent celebration. They set gifts aside that ended up making a great difference in serving the needs of Jesus during his refugee status. And so the give, where did Jesus get his clothes? Where, where did they get their food? Where did they get their shelter? Most likely from the generous giving of the three wise men. Now, the fact that the Christmas story of Jesus' birth into the world turned into a refugee story should not surprise us because Jesus came into the world to identify with humanity at all levels and to enter into our sufferings and our sorrows. He came into the world for that reason. And there's one other fact in this story that really drives this point home. It's the place where Jesus' family became refugees. They fled into Egypt. And among the Jewish people, for centuries, Egypt represented the most hopeless, destitute, horrible place on the earth. Because it was the place where Israel had been held in slavery for 400 years and had been abused by slave masters and they had no rights. They were treated unjustly. Some of them were murdered. They had no rights whatsoever. Egypt represented to the people of Israel all through their history the place of poverty, injustice, sorrow, grief, loss, hopelessness on this planet. And yet, the next place that Jesus went, the first place Jesus went to in this world, after his birthplace in Bethlehem, where did he go right after that? He went to the most hopeless place that exists on this planet. And that's exactly why Jesus Christ came into the world. I'm grateful that he came into the world for that reason, aren't you? Because I believe we may not be refugees this morning, in destitute, critical situation. But I'll tell you what, all of us have needs in this room today. And Jesus Christ came into the world to let you and I know, from the get-go, that whatever your needs are and whatever your issues are, Jesus Christ has entered into those with you. He is there for you. That's a great message to know about at Christmas. If we go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, we have the story of God sending Moses down into Egypt. But that story, this is what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And when I say God spoke to Moses, who, who, who spoke to Moses there? Well, who is Jesus Christ? He's the Son of God. And so the Son of God with the Father spoke to Moses. And this is what they said. He said, the cries of my people in Egypt have risen up to my ears. I see their suffering." And I'm sending you to deliver them. Jesus Christ sent Moses into Egypt to deliver them. But then it's the same Son of God who sent 14 centuries later as part of the great plan of redemption. God Himself, the Son of God, He stepped down from heaven to become a suffering regis- uh, refugee in that very same Egypt. So Jesus knows and He feels your needs, He understands the struggles. And Jesus knows what it feels like to be one of those families that we're going to be supplying a brood of chickens to this year who have no means of life support except we're going to supply some chickens that can lay eggs and they're going to have meals. Jesus has entered into their suffering. He knows exactly what it feels like to not know where the next meal is coming from. The thing, you know, the, the way I would say it is this. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to save that for just a second. I'm going to save that for just a second. Let me say this. He knows what it's like also to be one of those people or families right here in our own area, one of those 60 families, that we have the great joy and privilege of blessing this year with a Christmas meal, and more than that, by placing with that meal a grocery gift card that is going to supply them with groceries for the next several weeks to come. He has sat where refugees sat. He has sat where people who are in crisis have sat. And then later, in one of the most amazing teachings that Jesus Christ ever gave us, he teaches us that he is still sitting with refugees. Jesus still holds on to refugee status even today. Matthew chapter 25. Let me read what it says. Matthew chapter 25. He said this to his followers. He said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer Jesus, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? When did we ever see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Listen to this answer. Then King Jesus will reply, I tell you the truth, whenever you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it to me. I, I, I don't know if there's a more powerful statement in the whole Bible about empathy what empathy means for people of God. That when when Jesus still holds refugee status. And so when that picture, that picture of the Somalia refugees, can we have that picture? Of the Somalia refugees real quick? Jesus is seated right there among right, right there among those Somalian refugees. Next time on television, you hear something. You see a picture of a refugee or someone who's just going through crisis. Remember, you're looking at Jesus Christ. When you reach out to that person, you give them whatever. Give an offering that's going to meet their need. You're giving it into the hands of Jesus Christ. When we give chickens to the families this year, we're giving chickens to Jesus. When we provide a turkey meal and a grocery gift card to a person or a family, we're giving that turkey and that gift card, we're giving that directly to Jesus. And so we approach Advent this year, worshiping Jesus with planned giving, just like the wise men plan their giving, so that we can make a difference in the lives of people. Now, there's a second thing that, shows that the wise men really put a lot of careful thought and planning into these gifts that they would bring to Christ. Because each of the gifts carried deep symbolism that reflected the three main things about Jesus Christ, who he was, and what he came into the world to do. First of all, they gave them gold. Gold was a gift that was given to kings. And the Magi knew all about this because I said a moment ago, they were the kingmakers, no one could become a king in Asia or in Persia, except by their okay. And no wonder, with all that kind of power and influence, to be kingmakers, to recognize kings when they came into Jerusalem and, Herod, and asked Herod, "Where is he? Where is that new king?" Herod got he got really upset because they didn't come to see Herod. He was just a king of this world. They came to see the one whom the Scripture says is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King above all kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of our creation, the God of the universe, is who they came to worship. Now, the second gift that they gave symbolizes something else about Jesus that they understood. They gave him frankincense. Now, frankincense is a fragrant, gelatin-like gum-like resin used by priests to burn as incense. And as the priest takes frankincense and, and puts fire to it, then the smoke and the fragrance of that just starts to sort of rise up and fill the room, and it sort of ascends upward. And what that's a picture of is a picture of a, of a, pers- uh, of a priest A priest who takes on himself the needs of the people of God. A priest who offers up prayers and lifts up the needs of God's people to God. And Jesus is the priest who came into the world to enter into the needs of all people and bring those needs up to the Lord. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, says this, that Jesus is still that high priest in, in the very presence of God, it says there that he at all times is there interceding. That is, praying for you and me, taking our needs to the Father. And that's a, that's a thought to behold, that Jesus Christ in heaven this very moment, he's praying for you personally. He, he's taking your needs and praying on your behalf to the Heavenly Father. I wonder how much attention the Heavenly Father gives to His son, Jesus Christ. Casual? No. He gives him 100% attention. So you have God's God's 100% attention this morning. He's praying for you. He's lifting up your needs. And you know what? He's lifting up the needs of your neighbor, he's lifting up the needs of uh, your colleagues at work. He's praying for them too. And he's praying for every person who lives on planet Earth. All seven billion. That's his heart of love. Now, the third gift was myrrh. And myrrh was oil that was used to anoint the dead. And Jesus is the one who came into the world to die for our sins so that we could receive forgiveness and eternal salvation if we'll just come and ask him for that forgiveness. So when the wise men intentionally gave their offerings to Christ, they were, and I'm going to coin a word, I don't even know if this is a word, they were pre-enacting the whole gospel story, who Jesus was and the purpose of his coming. It was all wrapped up in those three gifts. They worshiped him as the eternal king of creation who came to earth as priest to identify with human need and then as savior to take our sins to the cross so we could be forgiven. It's all there in their gifts. Now, this morning, we when we bring our offerings to the Lord, we don't give gold and frankincense and myrrh. In fact, if you have some gold and frankincense and myrrh with you this morning and you want to put it in the offering plate, hey, that'll be a first for here. <laughs> uh, so I doubt that any of you have any gold, frankincense, and myrrh here today. However, it is no less true that when you and I worship and give sacrificially to serve others, we are every time, just like the wise men, they pre-enacted, we are re-enacting every time we give all who Jesus Christ is and all that he represents. We are re-enacting that he is the king of kings who came into the world to be the priest who would identify with all of our needs and then go to the cross to provide us forgiveness of our sins. That's why we worship Jesus. That's why we give purposefully to the kingdom of God. That's what's the, that's the vision and the reason for it. Because every everything Jesus did, it we place it in his hands so it is then taken and passed out to the world. That's what a church is. That's what a church is. Now, every Sunday when we give to serve others through the ministries of this church and then we give special offerings beyond our regular giving to missionaries and then to do things like we're doing here in Advent Conspiracy. Every time we do that, we are reenacting the whole gospel message of Jesus Christ, King, Priest, and Savior because that's the mission of the church too. So by our offering we become the answer to those prayers that Jesus is praying for all people right now in heaven. In the same way that the wise men, by their giving, they became the answers to the prayers and needs of the very first holy family, the family of Jesus himself, when they were destitute in Egypt. God uses your giving and mine to fulfill all those three purposes that are wrapped up in this message of Jesus Christ. You know, the moment the, the wise men came and took those gifts of theirs and they gave them to Jesus, bowing down to him in worship, the moment they did that, something happened to those, to those three gifts. Something about their nature changed. They became sacred. The gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all of a sudden, it became holy. Why? Because it, was, it belonged to Jesus, it was holy. Every time you give of your resources to God and give sacrificially to God, what you give, the moment you hand it, that becomes holy and sacred. And it also becomes designated to be carried out with wisdom to fulfill the purposes of the mission of Jesus Christ for people, serving people on the earth. I know in our day and time, and this is a sad fact, but um, a lot of times people are held back or hold back from the joy and the blessing that comes in giving and serving because we have con, con men who sometimes get into the you know into handling all those funds. We get con men. Uh, sometimes those con men are even on they're even on television and they're they're posing as preachers and robbing people blind. By by moving on them to give of their resources, and, you, and I think it's you know we can we can, we know that happens. In fact, it happened in the early church. Now, God taught a lesson. God taught a lesson to the church, just after it got started, about how to how holy and sacred. What people give to His church is how it's to be treated. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, all the church, they were giving liberally. Ananias and Sapphira, they took some money and they sold some land and they let on like they were giving all the proceeds to the church as a gift to serve others. But really what they did secretly was they took some of it for themselves in their own interests, their own needs. Uh, They came walking into the church one day. Ananias came in first. And Peter, God revealed to Peter... What, had, what was going on. And so Peter says to Ananias, hey, why have you lied to God? Why have you been deceitful in the use of holy funds that have been given to the Lord? And you know what happened to Ananias? He got carried out. He dropped dead. God took his life right there. And a little bit later, his wife came in. She was in on the deceit too. And Peter said again, well, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit about the funds? Why did you do that? And you know what happened to her? Well, she got to lay in a grave right beside her husband. <laughs> so, how serious does God view, how sacred does He view the offerings that, God, that His people give and the intention with which they give them? And how much and how much uh, responsibility does he place upon church leaders to make sure that every cent that is given, and, and charity leaders, every cent that is given, goes, de- goes to helping others for the reason for which it was given? Well, I think God takes it real serious. And I, I wouldn't want to be standing in the shoes of con men whether they're religious con men or they're secular con men. I wouldn't especially religious con men. I wouldn't want to be standing in their shoes someday when they give account before the same Jesus Christ of what they did with the money that was handed in. And we have checks and balances at Calvary Church for every cent that is given. It comes in to an accountant, a bookkeeper, it's reviewed by our church leadership council every single month. It's open books. Anybody can pick up a phone anytime and call the church office to get an accounting of what's going on here. So I'm just throwing that in here from a very practical perspective because the number one reason, I keep reading again and again, the number one reason, the number one thing people have against the church again and again is all they want is my money. You know what? If that's the case, then may God curse that church because that's not what the church of Jesus Christ is called to be. The mission is what the wise men had in their hearts. The mission is people. Giving so that what we give becomes becomes the, the means by which others can be served. Now, worship has two postures. Worship is a posture like this. We come into church and we lift up our hands. And by the way, when we worship here at Calvary Church, it's okay if you want to lift up your hands and and, and and worship God. It's totally fine to do that. You don't have to feel inhibited. You don't have to do that, but if you want to, you can. Uh, that's one worship. That's one posture of worship. But the other posture of worship is taking our hands and bringing them down like this, and and giving. And the two are inseparable. The two are inseparable. So, this is how, so we are approaching Advent conspiracy this year with four goals in mind, like the wise men did to worship Him fully, to spend less, so that we can give more, so that we can, in His name, love all. I just want to close with a little story this morning. Uh, my dad was a welder in a steel plant for 35 years, about 1959, somewhere there, 1959, 1960, uh, shortly after my dad and mom became Christians, which they did in 1958. Dad got laid off. He got laid off for a long time. He was a hard worker. He found things to do on the side to make ends meet. He cut pulpwood, he sold some used cars, sold his, <laughs> let me get my grand. whoa, Whew, I try not to do that. He sold some used cars, he did some welding on the side, and I remember, I remember mom and dad uh, having some conversations, kids overhear their conversations, and there was a point at which we didn't even have enough money to get our hair cut. I'm talking about myself and two brothers, Art and Gary, my sisters weren't born yet. Well, one of them had just been born, but she didn't know what was going on, <laughs> uh, so uh, we didn't have no money to get our haircuts. so our baseball coach happened to be a barber, and out of, out of the kindness of his heart, we got our hair cut by him two or three times. We did not have the money to get it done. Um, I remember one time seeing Mom come home from uh, her trip to town, and I think she had been standing in a, uh, a line, a food line, and that's sort of humiliating, you know. Uh, But she, I think, had been standing, because she brought home uh, powdered milk. And I think there was powdered eggs. Now, can eggs be powdered? (laughs) I don't know. But there was powdered, a lot of powdered stuff that she came home with. You just mix it with water, and you would get some food out of that. So during the desperation of this time as a family... We started dreaming with dad and mom, and they were really encouraging this. We, we started dreaming about a farm on our property. Now, my dad had 110 acres of farmland there in, the, in that rural area of Pennsylvania. My dad had grown up on a farm, so he knew all about farming, but he had become a welder. Uh, and so we, we just started having this dream, how we could grow our own food, be self-sufficient, And it would be called the Nichols Family Farm. So we started a farm fund, and we were all, you know, putting our quarters and our dimes into it. You know, one of the greatest places in a house to find quarters and dimes is in the cushions. So we would be searching the cushions, you know, the couch and all that stuff. And I'll tell you another great place is under the edges of the linoleum. Now, most houses don't have Linoleum anymore, but you know what? You could be surprised at the number of quarters and dimes you can find that somehow got under the edge of Linoleum. Anyway, we were finding all that money, and we put it into our farm fund. And um, Now, during that time, Dad took a temporary job. It was in a town, Sharon, Pennsylvania, about 50 miles away, and he had to leave on Sunday night, and he came back on Friday nights. He was gone the whole week. And we kids, we would stay up late every Friday night, and around midnight, he came home. And what we would do then, we would sit down with him and make plans about that farm. We would talk about that farm, how we were going to build fence around the fields. We were going to put up a new barn. We were going to have tractor and do plowing, and we are going to have a lot of cows. And we got that farm fund up to about eighteen dollars And we were really proud of that. But then one week, I remember that we were short on grocery money, and I heard mom and dad talking about it. And you know what? Uh, We thought about the farm fund. Now, $18 in 1959 would go a lot farther than $18 does in 2011. So uh, all three of us brothers, Art and Gary and myself, with some sorrow and with the feeling a little bit of the death of our dream, but we totally agreed that it would be okay uh, to take that farm fund money and for mom and dad to use it, to give it to them. And the amazing thing that I can still remember, and I was 11 years old right then, is a feeling inside when we made that decision to give. It was an early experience for me in the joy of giving to a greater purpose, a higher purpose. Of, and I, there was some pain with it. I'll guarantee you, it was a sacrifice. It was, it was a little bit the death of a, of a dream. There was a sacrifice to it. But you know what? I gained an even greater joy than the pain that was in it because it felt good inside. You know what? Here's the way I would, look, here's the way I would describe it looking back. I felt, I felt mature. I felt mature, a little bit more grown up, along with my brothers because we were able to say to mom and dad, it's okay to use this farm fund money. We can just put this dream aside for another time. So I, took a, I, I grew by a huge jump forward through that experience. Now, Advent Conspiracy is an opportunity just like that for all of us to grow more mature in Christ, more mature in having the heart of God which is the heart of giving to have his heart just fill us fill us with with a heart of giving and I'll tell you what, if we let him fill us with a heart of giving you will not, there is no greater joy there is no greater human joy to be experienced than the joy that comes as a result of that. One of the greatest greatest experiences of... Well, let me say it this way. When we give to a higher purpose. Now, all of you who are parents with children here this morning, Advent Conspiracy is a golden teaching moment for you and for your kids. And as a parent, here's what I would do. I would get my kids... And I would sit down with them, just like the wise men sat down before they approached that first Advent. And I would sit down with them and say, kids, we gotta, there's a lot of people that, that, don't, that aren't going to have a Christmas meal this year. Uh, there's some people in, an, in another country a long ways away from us that they don't even have a meal tomorrow. But we can do something about that. So what do you want to do? I guarantee you, parents, they'll never forget it. They will the same feeling that registered in me when I was 11 years old. It'll register in them too. Uh, I want to encourage that. That's what this is all about. It's not just some sort of slick program. It's not. This is about what the Church of Jesus Christ is. Not just at Christmas time. This is what this church exists for. 365 days of the year. This is why we are part of this fellowship and this family of Christ. To represent him and what he is, and all those three things that we outlined. That's what we are, too. So, we can all grow more, just like the wise man, in having the heart of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for your presence. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came into the world, the King of all the ages but you came and even went to Egypt. You went to the place of hopelessness so that we would know today that every hopeless place on this earth, whether it's next door to us or whether it's halfway across the world, Lord, you're right there sitting with that person. And Lord, it is now our joy and our responsibility to be your hands and your heart and to reach out into our world in your name to be the answer to the prayer that you are praying right this very moment for everyone who's in need. You, that's what you called your church for. Help us, Lord, to be such a church and never, help us never to be diverted from our purpose. Help us never to be distracted. Help us to live out this conspiracy against materialism all the time so that we can give, so that we can give to make a difference in people's lives in the name of Christ. And so, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.